Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, it's a great privilege, as always, to be back here in Melbourne and to be with you folks. This is my covenant, uh, my, uh, my church. I call covenant my church here in Melbourne when we come here to do a little study leave uh, for my time away. And always look forward to being back with so many of you, getting to meet more and more of you, and, and uh, excited for the future, what's going on across the street there or next door to us with the new building. It's an exciting time. So. So glad to be with you. You know, we just uh, heard Paxson mention about the, the, uh, the season of year and the calendar of the church, and we've just come out of Advent. And uh, so here you read a text, and it's an Advent text. So I'm a little late in the, uh, in the year on this, but very appropriate. We have come through the time of Advent, and you've been well-schooled to know the meaning of Advent. It's often called arrival. Uh, the word literally arrival. Arrival of whom? Well, it's Jesus. We know that. Uh, sometimes it's uh, referred to as waiting, a period of waiting. Uh, waiting for what? It's to be introduced to Jesus. Now, there's a reality that the Advent story found in Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18 that we just read, it truly is the New Testament's introduction of Jesus. Think about it this. Okay, who is this Messiah? What's, what's he going to be like? What's, what's up? Give me the story. And here comes the story, and it says, well, here's the story. It's Jesus. Let, let us introduce it to you, us meaning the triune God. He says in his word, he is going to introduce now to us who this Jesus is. I think sometimes we fail to see the introduction that we really get right here in this text. And so as we're in the beginning of the year, I think it'll be a very appropriate time. But let me tell you why this particular subject matter in this text means so much to me personally. I cannot tell you the hundreds, the number of hundreds of men that I've met with over the years. Hundreds and hundreds of men spend many, many lunches per week throughout most of the years of my ministry. And I meet with men. And I meet with men who are investigating, trying to figure out Christianity in some form or fashion. And so I'll, I'll have my conversation with them, and I'll, and I'll ask, are you a Christian? I'd say a majority of the people that I meet with, they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And then I simply ask the question, well, can I ask you this? Is your Christian faith more of a belief or is it a conviction? And they look at me a little puzzled. What do you mean? Well, a belief is something that we embrace to be true. But a conviction is something much different. 
See, a belief might be a belief because, hey, I grew up in America. I grew up where I heard about Jesus. But you do wonder, well, what happened if that same person had grown up in North Africa and had only heard the word Allah his or her entire life? They'd have a belief. Some very, very strong beliefs. Beliefs that take them to their grave. And I mean prematurely because of their belief. They have a belief. It's a very strong belief. But here's the question. Is it a conviction? What is a conviction? What do you mean? Conviction is something that drives the way we think every day. What we do. Decisions we make. It, it kind of it drives the, the essential part of our being. Who we are. That is a conviction. And most people that I meet with say this. I think mine's more of a belief. I do have a belief. But I don't think it's a conviction. So the question is this. The question is, what kind of introduction have you had to Jesus? How have we been introduced to him? So I... Uh, I say that and maybe illustrate it best with a, a story. Back when I was uh, a young believer involved in a, a Christian ministry that was a very broad Christian ministry where I was going to school at University of Alabama, and I was the MC of this large gathering of students each week. And this particular week, we were having a world-famous author and speaker, world-famous and I was the person that was supposed to introduce this person. And so I was, uh, I was honored to have that privilege. And so I'm waiting until the very last minute. The meeting is almost ready to begin. And the speaker has not shown up until he walks in very quickly at the end and says, who's introducing me? And I said, it's, it's this, this fellow here named Randy. And so he said, come here. And so I come over next to him and he says, sit down real quickly. He said, I want you to know this. My introduction is the second most important thing that's gonna happen here today. Most important is gonna be my speaking, but second to that is my introduction. And you will either make or break my message. To the degree you introduce me well, I will be received well. Do you understand that? I'm afraid I do, if that's true, oh my goodness. And so he says, so, so listen up carefully. This is a brilliant scholarly person. And he says, so I want you to just mention these things right here. And he started listing a list of various educational fraternities that he had exceeded in. And he was using Greek letters each time to tell which particular fraternity he was in, uh, where his degrees were, which degrees he had, what books he had written, and he went through, he's going on pretty strong. And I, I finally say, this guy's playing a joke on me. And I said, well, seriously, what, what do you want me to say about you? And he looked at me and he said, you're hearing what I want you to say. I said, well, if that's the case, let me get a pencil. Let me write this down. You don't need a pencil. You can remember this. It's not that much. He lost me at that moment. And I knew I had no chance. So I get up to introduce him. I said, I'm probably not a person here that doesn't know our speaker, at least who he is. He's world famous, he's an author as a speaker, and 
I mentioned his name, and I said, let's welcome him right now to speak. And everybody applauded. I left, sat down. The first thing he did was he looked over at me, and he was not teasing at all, and he said, that is the worst introduction I have ever had in my entire speaking life. And shook his head, and he kept going. Well, he'd had a, a poor introduction. In his mind, I don't agree with him, but in his mind, it made or broke his particular talk. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll tell you this. Introductions are important. And the introduction of Jesus is extremely important. As important as anything I could even imagine. The big question is this. Were you and I introduced to the real Jesus? Or have we been introduced to some version of Jesus that's not really who he is? Matthew 1 helps us answer the question simply by looking at the naming of this baby Jesus. We read about it every Christmas. We read right over it. He was named, and there we keep going. We fail to see the important things that we find in the naming of Jesus. See, the naming of babies today is very different than the time of the Bible. In our day, it's, uh, well, who's that special person that we would like to name him or her after? Maybe it's not a special person. Maybe it's just, it's a popular name, and I love that name. Let's use that name. Nothing wrong with that. For some people, it has to do with the sound of the name. It just sounds pretty. I just like the, the sound of it. Nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you, in the day when Jesus was born, much, much different. In New Testament times, it was based on what the name told about the baby's identity. The naming was very important. And it was determined by two things. And hear this. First of all, not by the name itself, but by who gave the name to him or to her. That very, very important. And number two was, well, what's the meaning of the name that was given? Every name has a, a specific meaning. And so it was, what was the meaning of that particular name that was given? Well, from our text, we're going to see two very simple observations. I love to make it simple, simple, simple. So here it is, two simple observations and then two very significant implications. I credit a good friend of mine and fellow PCA pastor, a man named Tim Keller. Many of you read him and have been blessed by his ministry. Years ago, I received several wonderful insights from this text from Tim. And I would credit him with so much of the insight. But let me tell you, it impacted me. I think it will impact you. So here are the simple observations that come from our text. So I'm going to read the text one more time. And I want you to look particularly at the last verse. So here it goes. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. 
When he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now hear this, verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. So the first of our two simple observations, the baby is named by God. Very important. He's not named by Joseph and Mary, which was the common thing that would happen. But here God intervenes and says, no, 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 you're going to call his name and gave the specific name. You see, in the day of the New Testament, as we are reading this, it was known by all that whoever chooses the name manages the child. You hear that? Whoever chooses the name, their responsibility to manage the child. In this situation, God says to Joseph and Mary, you can't manage God. I will manage. I'll give him his name. Now, that was true even in other arenas of life that we don't understand today. But during their particular time, it would be true of, of most anything, even going back to the earliest days of the Old Testament. Think about this. Adam is created by God. And what does God say to Adam when it's time for him to create the animals? He says, Adam... You name the animals. And then he goes on to describe how it's man's responsibility to manage the animal kingdom. It was true of a victorious king. Some great king comes along and his powerful army and he defeats another king and he takes that king hostage. What does he do? The very first thing he does is he would rename the king because now he's saying, I will name you because I will manage you. Find that in 2 Kings 22, it's throughout that day. It was very, very, very typical. So God intervenes and he chooses the baby's name. Here's the second observation. Very simple, but very important. The baby is given the name Jesus. Now, interesting word, Jesus. It's a name that uh, is translated uh, from Ishua, Ishua, or Joshua. Interesting. Do you know that it was the most common name of the time of the New Testament? There was no more common name. It would be basically our version or the Hebrew version of John Doe. Uh, Give me your John Doe. It's just a common name. Give me your John Doe. Just a common name. Yet, he's the most special person who's ever come to this earth. And he's given the most common name. It's a little clue right then that he would identify with ordinary, very common people. And not only did he have a common name, he had common parents, common education, common trade. Now, what's the meaning of Jesus? The meaning of Jesus is simply this. Salvation is of the Lord. There's his name. Salvation is of the Lord. Verse 21 says it this way, he will save his people from their sins. 
Now, in many ways, his name encapsulates the gospel just in his very name. And the idea would be that uh, salvation is, is based on what God does. And everybody needs to know this. I hope you do. But it's based on what God does. It's not based on what we do. Not even partially on what we do. It's all based on what he does. Salvation is, is based on God's mercy. It's not at all based on man's merit. Not at all. Salvation is based on what we call man's passive righteousness. Meaning, what is passive? I'm not doing anything. I'm passive. Versus active, that which I might do. It's not, a, it's not based on my active righteousness. It's based on my passive righteousness, what God does, not what I do. And so, basically, we've seen the simple observations. Very simple. The baby is named by God. The baby is given the name Jesus. So, this leads to our two implications. I don't know how many young people we have here. I know I see some here and around. You young people, you listen carefully to this one. If you're here kind of seeking to figure out the Christian faith, you're like so many men that I know, that I've met with, and women alike, who say, oh, I believe. I'm not sure it's a conviction, but I have a belief. Oh, I definitely have a belief. Listen very carefully to these two implications. They are critically important. It will make or break your eternity simply by understanding these two. So here's number one. The real Jesus, the real Jesus is unmanageable. So here's the point. We don't name Jesus. He names us. We cannot manage Jesus. He can only manage us. And that's where many of us get twisted. And that's why it stays at a belief. Because we assume, hey, I can manage Jesus. You see, the real Jesus is not our personal butler that we summon as needed and to get what we want. That, that's not who he is. Uh, he's not the tamed house cat uh, to be summoned and enjoyed at will when I want to enjoy my, my little pet. In fact, he's called in Scripture the Lion of Judah. And don't try to manage the real Jesus, God tell you, you get hurt. And that's what people don't know about Jesus. They got the wrong picture of Jesus. They weren't introduced to him correctly, and therefore, from that point on, we build on that wrong introduction, and all of a sudden, the message is not what it's supposed to be. I'll say this. He will do, God will do whatever it takes to get his children to understand the real Jesus. Because that's what truly counts. Any parent should do the same. It's got to, got to understand who manages who. We have uh, four children, four or, uh, adult children. And our oldest, he was uh, only a, a young little toddler. And I remember one Sunday morning, Carol and I were in the bathroom getting prepared to go to church and so forth and just getting going. And here comes our little Matt. 
Now, he's walking, but he's not, he's not very big. He's a little kid. And he comes toddling in, and, and we notice that he has in his mouth a little rubber tip that comes off one of these door stops. Uh, you remember how we used to have the door stops, little springs, and that little rubber tip on it. And he'd pull that tip off, and he'd put it between his teeth. And he came walking in very proudly, and he looked up at his mother and me. And as he looked up, I said, Matt, no, 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 no. That's dangerous. You could swallow that. Let me have it. And he didn't want me to give it away. But I took that from him, and I said, no, 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 no. Don't ever do that again. And so I put it back where it was, and I told him, no, no, no. Come back into the bathroom. Well, it's just minutes later. He comes walking in. This time, not so much a smile, but he has it between his teeth. And he looks up to say, look what I got. And I said, son, what are you doing? I told you that's a no-no. So I took him into his room, and I had to give him a spanking. And I gave him a, a good, appropriate spanking. I loved him, hugged him, told him I loved him. I did this for his protection, blah, 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 blah. But I said, don't ever, ever, ever do that again, okay? So I put it back in its place. I go back into the bathroom. Here he comes. And this time he has it clenched, and he looks up, and he says, hmm, hmm. I said, I can't believe this kid. He's the stubbornest kid. I, can you believe this? And I said to Carol, he'll never do it again. Trust me now. And I took him, put that back, and I spanked him so hard. I gave him an appropriate spanking. I hugged him. I loved him. I did everything. But I said, I spanked him so hard. He was crying and wailing. And I said, come back. I said, Carol, you don't have to worry about him ever doing that again. I think he's learned his lesson. Well, one more time later, or whatever it was, I think he learned his lesson. Carol and I have said, we don't know, that may have been a turning point in that boy's life because all of a sudden he learned at a young age, I don't manage my parents. My parents manage me. I didn't name them. They named me. I'll tell you this, parents take note. I understand some people are hearing this and going, oh, you're abusive because you spanked your kid. Don't allow your ch children to ever believe that they named you. It'll make them happy in the short run, but they will get hurt in the long haul. And it's a picture of the children of Jesus. Until we learn that lesson, we're going to get hurt. And he loves us so much. He spanks us as he spanks us. He disciplines us, as the scriptures say, because he loves us. And he says, I don't want to see you get hurt. You got to know this. I manage you. You don't manage me. Much like the fictional illustration, I hope you heard the word fictional, because last time I used this, some people didn't, and it didn't go well. of me asking Carol to marry me. Assume I had been dating her for quite a while, and 
We have a, a relationship that says, well, we can date other people. We haven't utilized that much because we just care for each other and we're dating each other. And she says to me, do you see us ever getting married? I mean, look at our age and look where we are in life. And so what do you ever see us getting married? And, and I say to her, well, I sure hope so. I wouldn't want to marry anybody but you. Well, why not sooner than later? Why not now? I said, well, I enjoy the freedom that I can date other people. I just enjoy that freedom. Now, this is fictional because she would have already left at this moment. <laughs> but assuming she doesn't, and I come back to her very soon afterwards and I say, Carol, will you marry me? And she says, oh, what, what changed? I just thinking how stupid I am for not marrying you. I, sure, I want to marry you. And so Carol, just by a side comment, says, well, yeah, good. No more dating other people. And my response to her is, oh, no, 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 no. After we get married, I'm going to keep dating other girls. I've just decided I want to marry you. Now, she's in real life would be gone already, all right? But in this illustration, let's assume she even pauses to say, and what in the world are you thinking? You don't want to marry me. You don't love me. Oh, yes, I do. I'll show you I do. Because you give me a date and I will be there and I will marry you. And she says, but why? Why would you even want to marry me if you want to date other people? Oh, Carol, you haven't seen the other girls' apartments, how horrible they keep their apartment. You don't know how bad of cooks they are. And you're such a wonderful cook. And you keep things so tidy. Why would I not want to marry you? Well, she'd slap me and walk away. But for some reason, we don't think God would do that. This is the very God who says in his great commandments, you shall have no other God before me. Oh, I want to marry you, Lord. I do. I love your salvation. No other gods can save me. I love what you, I love. But you know what? I do want to marry you, God. God says, no, don't do that. You see, you cannot manage me. See, this is going to give a lot of understanding to that text. It's a frightening text to all who are not truly under the assurance of their salvation. In Matthew 7, verse 22, Jesus says, Many that come to me on that day, the day of reckoning, and say to me, Lord, Lord, well, I'm a Christian, Lord, Lord, will not enter heaven. Many that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, will not enter into heaven. Many will say to me on that day, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? Those are pretty big stuff right there. Very, very good religious stuff. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Not I knew you and now I don't. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Is it calling us to be the perfect follower? And we got to, man, we got to follow. We can't do anything wrong. No, not at all. But it's now the new heart that says, oh, my intention is to follow you. And oh, as I fail. My heart breaks because I don't want to keep doing this. 
And I struggle to do the right things. But you know what? Your love is the same. Because I've come into your family. That's the key. Not that we don't sin anymore. But we have a heart of repentance as we recognize our sin and we go, oh, I've got to stop. The real Jesus cannot be managed. Here's the last implication. To follow the real Jesus is to embark on an unpredictable, dangerous, and adventurous journey. That's a wonderful one, but it's, it's unpredictable. It's dangerous. Christianity is not a, a self-improvement program. It's not a, a philosophy. It's not a, even a religion. It's a call to follow Jesus. That's what you got to understand. It's a call to follow Jesus. I talked to so many guys, and I'm talking to them about just understanding Christianity. And I say this, I said, do you know what is required to be a follower of Jesus? And only followers of Jesus are, his, are his, in his family. Do you know what it takes? It's one thing it takes to be a follower. What's that? You have to follow. If you follow, you're a follower. That simple. And how many people I have to warn, say, by the way, as you're investigating Christianity, you're going to meet a lot of Christians. You know what they're going to, in essence, say to you? Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus too. Now, I don't follow him, but I'm a follower. And you just internally shake your head and say, no, no, no. If anything I know, to be a follower, you follow. Now, perfect follower? No. I often put up a, a picture of these guys. I'll, I'll put a stick figure over here. I said, this is you or me. This over here, this is Jesus. And then I say, Jesus, and I point a line this way, where Jesus is looking this way, and say, look, Jesus is saying, follow me. So let's say he's going this way. Well, let me ask you, if you and I are over here, and we choose to go that way, are we a follower? No. What if we go this way? Are we a follower? No. What if we go this way? Are we a follower? No. All right, let me ask you this. I draw that straight line to Jesus and say, look, what if we're on that straight line? Are we a follower of Jesus moving that direction? Yeah. Do you think anybody's walking a straight line? No. So here you start your journey following Jesus, and maybe it looks like this. I'll draw this line. I said, do you notice that every, every step, it's going closer, even though it's not a straight line. And then you grow a little bit of a Christian, and now it's more like this, but it's always following. Maybe the Apostle Paul was barely, I don't know. <laughs> but the point is this. Following is not perfection, but following is moving in his direction. That's what the true follower is. Let me use uh, two little analogies, and then I'm going to bring a conclusion to this. To follow the real Jesus is like an unexpected and expensive home remodel. Don't know if you've had a remodel that went a little bit out of bounds financially came more than you had imagined. 
But imagine the extreme. You're heading out of town. You hire a, somebody to come in and say, I'd like for you to make some internal changes. I'd like for you just to do this and this and you know, make it spruce it up a little bit. I want it to look a bit better. Here's my budget. Da, 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 da. You come back. They've added a new room. They've reconstructed the whole thing. And when you get back, it, you now have this incredible facility and the cost is way beyond anything you ever imagined. You thought you were getting inexpensive minor changes? No. You get a royal royal palace at an outrageous price. I think that's what Paul understood when God says of him, Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Oh, I didn't really expect that suffering, but what a great gift in the long run. Or to follow the real Jesus is like being on a continuous adventure story. It's like it's a call away from security, yes. A journey filled with hardship, risks, fears, dislikes, and so forth. Dangers, absolutely. But at the end, hidden treasure. Like those two analogies, following the real Jesus. Hear this, seeker. Following the real Jesus is hard, but it's rewarding. In the short run, there's nothing more dangerous than to obey him. In the long haul, there's nothing more dangerous than to ignore him because he's the real Jesus. Here's the conclusion. Some of us are going to say after hearing this message, you're going to say, oh, but if I follow the real Jesus, I'm afraid he'll ask me to do things that I just don't want to do. Of course he will. Or some of you say, I'm afraid if he'll ask me to stop doing some things that I really, really, really want to do. He definitely will. Where we get this picture, the wrong Jesus, that no, no, he wouldn't, he's just soft and tender and won't do anything but just whatever we want. No. He loves us too much to do that. He's taken us to a royal palace, an adventure with hidden treasure. And he says, I long for my children to have the best of the best of the best. And so he says, please get to know me as the real Jesus. So if you want a royal palace and you want a lifetime adventure with great treasure, I'll tell you what we can't do. We can't settle to be named by things like our work, our relationships, our pleasures, our reputation, our possessions. Just doesn't work that way. By the way, you and I will either be named by Jesus or we're going to be named by something else or by someone else. So here's the model. Here's the human model. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus, oddly enough. Now Mary was summoned to embark on an adventurous journey. She finds out she's pregnant without a husband. She finds out that she's falsely accused of being an immoral, unwed mother. And she's told that she will have a child that's older than she is. And this is what she says in Luke 1, as you have on the screen. And Mary said, behold, with all this being true, I'm the bond slave. The bond slave of the Lord. 
So therefore, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. People who meet the real Jesus say, let it be done according to the word. And that's learning the rest of our life, what it means to follow Jesus. So back to the opening uh, statement that I made or the question. Were you introduced to the real Jesus? Is your faith a belief or is it a conviction? If you say yes, I know the real Jesus. I was introduced to him. And, you know, I can say this. My faith is a conviction. Not where I want it to be, but it's a conviction for sure. Then you have every reason to expect a glorious ending to what is perhaps right now a very challenging journey. Question, how how do you know that, Randy? What makes you say that with confidence? Look at my life. Look at the pain. Look at the suffering. Look at the issues. How can you say that this is going to end as a marvelous journey that has an incredible ending to it? And my answer would be because Jesus' first act of being our manager was to pay our price of our sin on Calvary's cross. And he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I'd say, here's how you know, because you are forever forgiven, regardless of your sins. You are forever loved, regardless of your sins. That's living the life in a royal palace right there, when the king of kings does that. So, seeker? I'm going to suggest to you, hear the gospel. You lost it all. You lost it all. You lost your goodness. You lost your perfection in the fall. But guess what? He did it all. He did everything we need for our salvation. And guess what? We get it all. We get his full righteousness when we declare, I lost it all. And I declare you did it all. I'm going to get that passive righteousness that becomes for me a new active righteousness because I love God, because you love God. That's the good news. If you know the real Jesus, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that you would be so gracious, so kind, so good. To have your son come to this earth under the conditions he did and in so doing to give his life that we might live in a royal palace forever and might have an adventurous journey that outdoes any journey we could ever put together on our own. As hard as it may be. May we see you as the real Jesus. May we love you as the real Jesus. May we follow you as the real Jesus. And we thank you for the privilege to do so. In the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.